104.7 The Cave. KKLH, Marshfield, Springfield. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Touchdown, Kansas City! Now, it's time for Ned Talk. Yep, that is what it says on my schedule. Time for Ned Talk. That means we get together and talk a little bit about sports for the next hour. I'm Joe Weston, joined by Ned Reynolds. I'm sorry, Ned. It turns out we've been mispronouncing your name this whole time. It's Reynolds. Reynolds. <laughs> hey, don't fall for that Kelsey stuff. The name is Kelsey. K-E-L-C-E. He's playing with the press is what he's doing, just creating some kind of story. And mine is Reynolds. Okay. All right. John Olivier is with us. How are you, John? I'm good. I prefer Olivier. Olivier. Yes, okay. Yes. And Josh Robers. That's right. Josh Very Robers. French. Very Robert. French. Well, is it Kels or Kelsey? Or, Kelsey. Are you sure about that? Well, his mother says it is, so <laughs> you pretty much have to think that she, his mother and his brother who plays for the Philadelphia Eagles, and everybody knows Philadelphia Eagles represent truth, justice, and the American way. <laughs> this is true. You know, our, our buddy Jake Gullett, and that is how he pronounces his name, is actually related to Don Gullett, mm-hmm. and they just prefer the pronunciation Gullett here. Oh. So, you know, it's whatever floats your boat. I always like it when people change their names midstream. Mm-hmm. Susan Sarandon, Susan Sarandon, Sarandon, whatever it is now these days. I don't know. Anyway, we're here to talk about sports, not name pronunciation. <laughs> I want to do, I want to start out the show by bringing it to everybody's attention that Thursday night is our our evening with Mitch Holtis. It's the Chiefs happy hour that happens at the Riff at the corner of Sunset and Kansas Expressway. It's part of the Classic Rock Coffee Complex tickets are available online at 1047thecave.com or through your cave app. And, Ned, just tell us how this is going to go. This is always a lot of fun because Mitch is uh, just a fountain of information. Art and I, Art Haynes and I, do the uh, the interview with him, and we exchange back and forth the key questions of which he does not know. Hey, he has no idea what we're going to ask. And his review and preview of the Chiefs is really top-notch because, well, this is it. This is it for him. This is his chief vocation. He has the TV show, The Minute with Mitch, and all sorts of little adjunct shows that go along with that, as well as being a top play-by-play announcer. But his knowledge, his uh, inner knowledge of the team and what, Mm -hmm. in his opinion, and he's voiced this many times, in his opinion, what they need to do has always been right on. This has been going on now. I believe this is year number four, if I'm not mistaken for it. And uh, it's really a great evening, and it's one that's hugely worthwhile. You'll have a good time being there. Ned is a uh, Ned and Art Haynes, both fantastic yes. additions to talking to Mitch Holtis. John, you've been before. What do you What do you like about it? It's fascinating. I mean, the Mitch has, as Ned said, just such a deep knowledge of the team and all of the personnel from Patrick Mahomes down to the third string cornerback. <laughs> and you know, he he brings along some video and audio footage. Usually, tells a lot of stories that I don't think you'd get elsewhere. It's just, it's a really unique experience to hear everything he can tell you about the Chiefs. Intimate would be the word that I would yes. use to describe it. Even though there's, you know, a hundred or more people there at the mm-hmm. event, food's going to be provided as part of your ticket from Civil Kitchen, which that's part of, for me, that's uh, that's mm-hmm. worth the admission alone. Absolutely. Get some, some oh, yeah. food from Civil Kitchen. Josh Roberts, you've been to a couple of these. Yeah. I, you know what? It's, it is... Like you guys are saying, it it blows my mind the encyclopedic knowledge that Mitch yeah. Holtis has mm-hmm. of the Chiefs. I mean, it's it's 
so the depth of the knowledge is so impressive to me. And it's just a great event because it it it's a, a nod to all the Chiefs fans around here. They can come and hang out, talk to this guy, like you said, in an intimate setting. And you get such an insight of what's going to happen and what has happened and all these cool stories. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. It's a good time. Tickets are on sale right now through our cave app, or you can get them at 1047thecave.com. Please don't miss out. This is a lot of fun. I was not a believer myself until I went to my first one of these, and then I was like, wow. This is great. I had a really good time. Really you have to understand it. there is nothing formal about this. Very no, informal. You'll take, mm-hmm. take questions from the audience, and mm-hmm. frequently there are questions. I love it, though, at the very end. When everything is concluding and we've said so long to everybody and all that, he gets all those people up there at the base of the stage and leads them in that touchdown. Yeah, <laughs> it's city, it's yeah. very funny. It really is. <laughs> Let's continue talking about the Chiefs. This is, uh, as we approach, we're one, one month away from the Training camp starts this next week for a few teams. The uh, I believe it's the Steelers and the Cowboys start on Wednesday because they have the Hall of Fame game. Mm-hmm. The uh, rest of the league will start up slightly after that. We're about a month out from actual football. We will have a preseason this year, mm-hmm. too. Well, that starts with the Hall of Fame game. That's exactly right in Canton, Ohio. And then uh, then the teams, I think the Chiefs' first preseason game is the 14th, if I'm not mistaken. August 14th, that's a Saturday at the 49ers. It's, I think they, it's two and one, if I'm not mistaken, too. Two road games and the one home game. Correct. They, they have uh, Arizona the following Friday at Arizona, and then they wrap up the following on the 27th, taking on the Minnesota Vikings mm. at home. Okay. So you have the three, it's three preseason games this year, which in my opinion is one too many. I think they'll have think two, so yeah. But, yeah. And, and eventually it may come to that. Mm-hmm. But the preseason games, of course, are right here, preceded by us. Mm-hmm. That will be our weekly show. We'll go from our Sunday niche that we have now to right before the Chiefs games, many of which will be on Sunday, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, about two hours before kickoff because Art will come on with his uh, pregame show. But uh, these are always good little kickoffs, that, uh, and we can offer our local opinion on what's going on and various other subjects. Mm-hmm. Looking over the Chiefs' schedule this season, they have uh, one Monday night game. And that is November 1st against the New York Giants. I'm looking through just kind of, I'm sure that they'll get flexed into a couple of, possibly a couple of Sunday night games. They do have two early in the season, one against the Ravens and one against the Bills. And then they have a Thursday night game against the Chargers. But the rest of the games will be right here on the cave on Sunday afternoons. And uh, you guys ready for some football? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah, always. <laughs> yeah, excited. So one, I'm sure one of the big questions that Mitch Holtis will be asked on Thursday night will be, what do the Chiefs need? I mean, obviously, they've, mm-hmm. they've worked hard to fix their offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, they did pick up a... Another defensive lineman, but it looks like they may lose a defensive lineman. There's, and, and I'm going to do slightly disagree with you, Joe. I think that will be the key question. Yes. What do you do with an individual who has evidently or is accused of violating the law but has not been sentenced yet? But what he has done, at least in the eyes of the National Football League, and I assume the Chiefs, although there has been no jurisdiction, no adjudication coming down from them, that's a violation of your personal conduct. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't have... You know, what, can, we're carrying a concealed weapon. 
He didn't do anything with it. And his lawyer says, well, it was the bodyguards. Come on, that's pretty lame. But (laughs) be that as it may, it is nothing that has been decided yet and won't until October 4th. Do you allow him to play in that time period? That's a key question. And over and above that, what is your fan reaction to that? And what is the overall perspective of the National Football League if you're allowing somebody like that to continue playing? I don't think I don't think the fans as a whole will have much of a negative response to Frank Clark having a weapon. I don't think that the I, I think that to a lot of fans this is no big deal. You know that they that they have weapons. <laughs> I do as well, and, and that that it's not a big deal. But I I I think it's interesting that the Chiefs and the NFL have both been fairly quiet on this entire issue. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, that, and I'm sure they want the judicial process to play. That's out. just it. That's why they're being quiet because nothing. He has been charged with this and uh, out on bail and all that, but he hasn't been arraigned and formally sentenced to whatever they're going to do, and he hasn't had the plea hearing mm-hmm. uh, on anything like that. So they really can't say anything, but they can offer some kind of league-wide discipline like, hey, until this is decided you're not going to play or mm-hmm. we're going to let you play. And I, Joe, in my opinion, that's how human beings differ. I do have a different outlook on this because it has come to light. It is something that is anti-social, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. And what kind, of a, what kind of a perspective do you have on allowing something like that to happen? I agree with you. I do. I'm just saying I think as a fan base as a whole, the NFL fan base, I think they're mostly going to look at it and go, well, what's the big deal? The guy has a gun. I have a gun. Hmm. You know, sometimes I have my gun in my car. I'm going hunting or whatever. With an Uzi submission? <laughs> well, yeah. They're in the difference line. I'm being, but... yeah, well, I'm playing devil's ad- yeah. advocate here on this particular issue because I, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any need for for him to be Heaven's carrying a, a submachine gun around in his car. No. I mean, I just, I don't get it. And I think it was a bonehead move on his part. We've talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Just, it, yeah, bonehead move. Mm-hmm. Well, and I feel like there has to be a consequence to your actions. And if the NFL says, eh, we don't care. You can go ahead and play until the court thing rules itself. I think they're setting a bad precedent. Because then any player could say, well, I haven't been convicted of anything yet either. I've been accused of beating up a woman or it's, robbing a house, but I haven't been convicted yet. It's a really fine line because you see the difference now. Frank Clark had been arrested for spousal abuse or uh, or an assault. He would probably be suspended right now. Yes. There would, they wouldn't have even allow it to go through the judicial process. But because it's a weapons charge... You know, a victimless crime, just so to speak. Well, and let's contrast this with what's going on in Major League Baseball right now. Trevor Bauer has been placed on three separate administrative leaves. He also has not been officially charged with anything. But it is a domestic issue. And he's completely detached from the team, canceled his bobblehead night, has not been able to participate. So I, I get what you're saying about the fan base, but I think... It, it paints an ugly picture if they let him play during this. Right. I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a really tough question. It I, is. I, I mean, I, I, I get the difference between the two the two charges. One is a, is a victim crime and, and the way that people look at it. And I totally agree. But the other one is, but where is this going to go? I mean, and you can't predict that. And that's not that part of it. And again, I'm playing devil's advocate. I think that... He should have been come down on really hard personally. I think he should have been come down on hard with. And I think that mm-hmm. that, that allows the Chiefs uh, to prepare for what they need to do. Mm-hmm. 
So whether it's a four-game suspension, a five-game suspension, whether he's out for the season or whatever. And another factor is, what is his contribution going to be? The Chiefs have to look at that. Heck, they may even consider cutting the guy. That's right. They'd be responsible yeah. for some of his salary, but not all of it. They, I think it would fall into the, the dead cap space mm-hmm. circumstance that does exist here. But by the same token, though, you have to really take the public perception into into mind. And I think the league does that because you don't want, as you guys were saying, that thought process that we're going to allow anybody to play. What is right. this? And uh, you can't have that. You can't have that, that lack of identification with a team. No, and I feel like the NFL has had so many black eyes lately with the way that they've handled th- those situations they need to get it. They need to get on the right page with it. You know, even if it's a if you're accused of a crime, you're suspended until we figure out what's going to happen. I think that's probably their the best policy if they truly want to clean up what's going on. I mean, I it's silly to me that they just let them let these guys go back on the field pending their mm-hmm. arraignment. Mm-hmm. You know. And it, it is such a tough thing, and it's a tough place for the NFL to be in, a tough place for the Chiefs to be in. And ultimately, I think that, the, of course, all this lands right on Frank Clark's shoulders because he had been arrested previously for this before. And now, bring me up to date on what's going on because there's there's the previous case that he just, did he go to court this last week for that? No, that it's the previous case that he's in court now. The one on in June, in late June, that hasn't even been decided yet. That mm-hmm. will be because that that's the one where he had the Uzi submachine gun. But even before then, University of Michigan kicked him out right. for a domestic violence uh, situation. Hey, the guy's got some problems, and it does need to be addressed by key individuals, professional individuals, as to how you how you heal an individual like this. But allowing him to continue, I, I just, I, I, I can't justify it. You're list- maybe they can. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, your local live sports talk show. So play Mitch Holtis for me for just a minute. Let's say everything goes status quo. Frank Clark is in uniform, plays on day one. What did the Chiefs need? What's what do you think Mitch is going to say? He'll uh, he'll talk about the offensive line and how much they have improved. He'll also talk about the experience that Patrick Mahomes has gained, and uh, I don't mean this to be negative, but the experience in the Super Bowl of running what four hundred yards backwards. Oh my gosh! Yes, uh, that's that's and it's an experience that does figure into his uh, overall professional caliber as a player. And I think Mitch will find that the positive results from that. What did they learn? What can they do? It's a team that's already won the Super Bowl once behind Mahomes, and they'll be favored to do it again this year. He'll have to talk about how they can be consistent year in and year out and game in and game out because it's the NFL, and your rate of attrition from injuries is going to be there. It is a significant factor. That does happen. Are the Chiefs deep enough? Have they drafted for depth? Have they gone to the free agent market and gotten the depth that they need? These are all key questions that he will answer. John, what do you think? Do you think that Patrick Mahomes will be a better quarterback this year having been knocked on his ass last year? I absolutely do. I think just from his upbringing with his father, Pat Mahomes, as a pitcher, he was a bulldog, and he had some rough years. He was originally a starter, came on like a you know freight train, and then got knocked around to the tune of, you know, over five ERA a couple of years, reinvented himself as one of those absolutely premier middle relievers for almost a decade. 
that upbringing and the mindset I've seen from Patrick Mahomes, he'll learn from this experience. He's learned from every other, you know, bump in the road that's been thrown to him so far in his career. And I think he'll learn from this and grow from it. Josh, I know your solution to the Chiefs' problems is draft more Alabama players. But <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you think? True. What do you think where the Chiefs where they need help out this year? Well, obviously, the the big question is going to be the the moves that they made for their offensive line. Is that going to work? Is that all going to gel? I mean, when when they rebuilt their offensive line last time, it was pretty rough for the first half of that season or more. Um, so I think that's going to be a factor. The defensive line is going to be a factor. Uh, and then I'm kind of curious. I've never been a big fan of running back by committee. I know that it's kind of become the norm in the NFL just because of that rate of attrition that you guys are talking about. But I'd like to see them have one standout running back because if they can effectively run the ball more, that takes more pressure off of Pat Mahomes, and then he can make those spectacular throws and runs that he's been doing. Talking about that, have you? I mean, can you think of a team that you've seen in the past few years that's been really good for a long period of time that's had running back by committee? I mean, I guess the Patriots. Yeah, they really yeah. haven't had a solid, strong running back. Their game, though, their 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 attack. Yeah, they had a good a good running game, but it wasn't their primary factor mm-hmm. in the offense. Uh, with the Chiefs, it really is neither. Mahomes and his receiving core is the primary factor, so they may be able to make that work. With the the a limited number of running backs, I think the the unavailability because he's retired of their big blocking fullback Sherman. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. going to the sausage. Uh, that that's going to make a difference because you oh, yeah. do not have somebody reliable like that. Okay, real quickly before we go into the commercial break, your thoughts. Let's just go around really quick. Tom Brady torn MCL all last season. That's the report that we've got. It was what. What status does that elevate him to? Because most most guys can't play. Well, in my opinion, he doesn't need the status elevated. He's already at the top of the Mm. list. As far as I'm concerned, the guy has achieved over and over and over again. He has won. He's been with good teams, but he has made them good teams. And who's ever even heard of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers until he came along? And what do they do (laughs) when the Super Bowl? He's already at the top of the list. John Gruden's heard of him. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) What do you think, John? I, I think it just adds to the mystique. I mean, I know a lot of people hate the guy, but you cannot deny what he has done <laughs> on the field. Hands shut up in the air in the studio. What about you, Josh? He's a liar. <laughs> it was a deflated he MCL. Didn't, he didn't play a whole season with a torn MCL. Yeah, well, you know, just more to go into the Brady myth. We'll be back in a moment to talk about baseball. It's Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. We're watching the Open, as it's now called, formerly the British Open. Beautiful scenery. And it looks like uh, Morikawa, is that how you say his name? It looks like he's, he's in front right now. Jordan Spieth coming from behind. Really good golf to watch right now. Always a great event to watch, to watch the... Uh, uh, the the major tournaments in golf because you get to see some things you don't normally get to see and to see the way they play in Great Britain, always a thrill. And this is, incidentally, the last of the majors on this year. This completes the Grand Slam. There are no more after this, but this is also a Ryder Cup year. 
And uh, many of these players will be coming over to this country. It's where the Ryder uh, Cup is being played at Whistling Streets up in Wisconsin, which is, interestingly enough, a Lynx course. Ah. It's, it's very much like these British courses. Therefore, the European team, which has won the Ryder Cup here in over the past number of years, uh, will be the favorite probably going into it, even though it's in this country in Wisconsin. Right. Let's uh, spend a little time talking about the national pastime, baseball. <laughs> And what's going on? Uh, let's start with the All-Star Game. I, I'm going to admit this. I did not watch a second of the All-Star Game. I did not even watch highlights of it. I'm, ex- I'm just, uh, it wasn't that I didn't want to. It was just, uh, honestly, I forgot that it was on. I got home from work about 8 o'clock that night. I forgot it was on. I was in bed by 9, so I didn't, I didn't see any of it. Any impressions from the All-Star Game? Well, I didn't like you. I didn't see a whole lot of it either. But to, and, and that I says something. This, let's let's stop right there. Well, not really. I'll, <laughs> I'll explain to you in just a second. I actually was watching, even though it preceded it by about two hours. I wanted to watch USA basketball and see how they played. But the All Star Games TV ratings are the lowest ever this year. There were over eight million viewers. That's a lot of viewers. But in terms of past All Star Games and past impacts. And the shows, TV shows, other impacts on the viewers, it is, it's very low and it has continued to drop. What does that say? I, I don't really think it means a whole lot because there's so many options that people have uh, to watch on television. As far as the game is concerned, well, American League won its eighth in a row. Does it represent a difference in the strength of the leagues? No, because you can't base it on one game in which you have stars who are all encompassing of a league against another group. It's not a cohesive team effort, and you're substituting players in and among. What you can determine is interleague play, mm-hmm. although not all teams are equal. And, for instance, the Cardinals this year are playing the Indians and the Twins and the White Sox and the Kansas City Royals. Do they have the toughest of the other league to play? That, again, there are all manners of figures that can go into this thing. Is there a difference in the two leagues? I think there is, yes. I think the American League probably has a little bit better overall strength, but it isn't based on the All-Star game or anything else. What do you think, John? You know, I watched both the Home Run Derby and most of the All-Star game, and here's what I will say. I know the ratings were down, but I think it was last week or the week before I was talking about the NBA Finals and what great shape the NBA is in for the next decade. Baseball's got that same look to it. With the Home Run Derby... Pete Alonzo put on a show. He was bobbing his head. He brought his own soundtrack that they played during his at-bats. He absolutely put on a show, and Shohei Otani did very well in the home run derby. So those two young guys getting to see them. What I loved about the game itself is they mic'd up players and had them talk to the announcers during the game. I liked it because it was a lot of fun hearing Freddie Freeman joke around and hearing Fernando Tatis One of the things I found humorous is I think a lot of people take shots at Joe Buck, and that's deservedly so a lot of times. He and his broadcast partner, Freddie Freeman, innocently asked them, you know, well, are you ready to take on whoever's coming up in the next inning because they took Otani out? And he goes, "Uh, who is it, guys? Give me a little help here. So they looked in the bullpen. (laughs) They said, well, you're going to be facing Kyle Gibson of the Rangers. He goes, okay, okay, from the Texas Rangers. All right, I'll get ready for that. Well, they looked in the wrong spot because Lance Lynn was warming up. So he comes up to the plate and oddly stops talking to them as soon as he gets up to the plate against Lance Lynn. But did you hear Buck, in all fairness, did say, hey, our most humble of apologies here. We we made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. 
do you, I mean, you like it. I don't like stuff like that. I don't like the kitschiness of that sort of thing. I want to see a good game. I want to see the best of the best play each other. Uh, though it's a moment that I, I think stands in infamy in baseball, uh, Pete Rose taking out Ray Fossey, Ray Fossey. and basically ending his career. Uh, I, I want to see a hard-fought game where it looks like the two leagues don't really like each other. And and now it's it seems a little too chummy for me. It does. I don't mind it, though, because I just think that's the way these all-star games have gone in all the leagues. It appeals to a younger audience. You know, one of the things you saw, Vladimir Guerrero hit a titanic home run. He's yeah. obviously going to be a superstar. He and Fernando Tatis, of course, both younger children of great you know, Major League Baseball players have grown up together. And so they had Tatis mic'd during Guerrero's at bat, and they were talking to him. And when Guerrero hit that home run, Tatis just stopped and put his hands on his head and started laughing. I mean, I think that opens the fans up to a side of the players they wouldn't get to see normally. So I actually am a fan of these events. I think it draws those younger viewers in. For guys like us, Joe, I agree with you. I want to see a competitive game, but it's not always about us. It's about trying to create new fans and build their interest in the game. Wait, I think you're saying I'm old? Is no, that no, 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 no. <laughs> no, but but I am, and I will tell you what the how it impacts me. When I was a kid growing up, the All-Star Game was the focal point of yep. that particular week. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, there was only one day removed and one day prior to in which there were no games. It resumed on Thursday. Now they give them the whole week off, except for two teams who didn't play, as it turns out. <laughs> but the the fact is that it was a focal point because there was a rivalry between the two leagues. Which is mm-hmm. better? Are you a National League fan or American League fan? That doesn't exist now to such an extent because we do have interleague play and because there are so many more teams than there used to be. So the All-Star Game has diminished in its competitive uh, aspect of things. Is making the World Series home field advantage the answer? Hell no. No, no, no. In, <laughs> in no way, shape, or form. That's totally wrong. You don't want it to be. It's an exhibition. That's what it's about. Well, let, let's stop for a second and have a little conversation about this because I have been a fan of some of the new ideas that have been put into baseball. I know that you're not. Uh, I actually like the runner at second base in extra innings because I think it gives it, it, it automatically puts the puts the drama right in at the very beginning of the inning. And as a fan of baseball, I don't know how many games I've watched, especially over the last decade, where you basically watch the the order go up there and everybody swinging for the fence to try to end the game on one swing. Mm-hmm. So I like the fact that there's a the, you know a single wins a game. A single can determine the outcome of the game. Not a fan of the seven-inning doubleheaders, but is baseball trying a little too hard? Well, I think you're going to find that both those rules are dropped. Yes, yes. I did. I did. I did know mm-hmm. that. Mr. Manfred has said, and I think he may, to his credit, because I don't think the guy's a very good commissioner personally, but to his credit, he has admitted that maybe fan pressure has come back and had some effect. Mm-hmm. I don't like. And the reason I don't like the guy on second base to start the extra innings is it's gimmicking up the game. Mm -hmm. Let the game go on in the flow that it has. That way you'll decide the true winner. Yeah, it may be long, but that's all part of baseball. Those things do happen. And you have the option to leave. My point is the flow gets disrupted anyway just because of the fact that it it almost becomes sudden death with the home team. And so Mm -hmm. it, it, 
I, I just, it's, it's, to me, an extra inning game is one of the most boring things in all mm. sports because the hitters, the hitters are all trying to end it with one swing. They're all trying to get, they're trying to jack one out in the game over. So you see a lot of bad swings. They're tired. They want to go home. They don't like extra inning baseball games. And I don't know that the fans are that huge a fan of watching 15 to 18 inning baseball games. I have to disagree with you a little bit on that. And I will say, I'm glad you brought up Rob Manfred's comments because this is one of the few times I can actually agree with what he's saying. He does want to abolish those two things. The problem with the runner on second for me is from a pitcher's mindset, you can lose a game without a runner that you actually put on base being on base. And to me, that's that's just not right. I will say he's also mentioned he's looking at either greatly reducing or banning shifts next year. Yeah. And that's where I think those extra inning games will become more entertaining because I think guys are going to be forced to start hitting the ball again instead of this launch angle swing for the fences stuff. I think you'll see guys realize, hey, if I can hit 330, I can really do something here now that the you know they don't have three guys on the right side of the infield against me. Well, I think that's a mentality, though, That's it's going to be hard for that to go away. We may not see that go away for a generation of baseball because yeah. you see guys that all they have to do to hit 300 is hit the opposite way, mm-hmm. and they've refused to do it. Well, I think you're seeing a bit of a change in the minor leagues now because while they have not banned the shift, mm-hmm. they have banned where the players can play yes. on the shift. In other words, the second baseman, instead of going out into short right field, is now on the infield. He's got to play on the dirt, and then the other infielders can pull around and play on the dirt as well. Still leaves, in, well, in the case of a left-handed batter, still leaves the right-hand side mm-hmm. completely open. And why the batters haven't taken advantage of that, I do not understand. Uh, is it is it because they're old and can't absorb a change? Matt Carpenter, for instance, my God, the entire left side of the field is wide open. Lay down a bunt, and he has, to <laughs> yes. his credit, a couple of times now. That's how you solve this. Or, mm-hmm. and you guys are too young to remember the late Wally Moon, athletic director at John Brown University down in Siloam Springs, when he was with the Los Angeles Dodgers, he developed the moonshot for specifically for playing in the Coliseum. He, he changed the swing and lofted balls over the screen in the 250-foot left field uh, seats. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's how you do it. You change your swing. Yadier Molina is a prime yes. uh, example of an individual who can swing late and smack balls right through the right side of the infield. You change your strategy. Mm-hmm. These guys aren't all one-direction players. You can do that sort of thing. That's hitting to me is learning. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's why I, I don't feel like they need to ban shifts or no, anything. I, I mean, if you're not good enough to hit opposite field, why are you in the major league? Thank you, sports fans. That's, that's true. exactly well, right. And if you're if you're getting out every time because they're shifting to the area that you hit, hey, get in, get with your batting coach, and work on hitting opposite field. But we've talked about this before. There's a lot of guys. It's it's ego yeah. that goes on. And every sport has this to some degree or another. I mean, you don't see a lot of fundamentals in most sports anymore. Tackling in the NFL uh, is atrocious. horrible. Because <laughs> they're trying to of, knock the ball out instead. It's a lot of pushing. It's a lot of shoving. I mean, it's 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 not tackling. It's not what we well, they're you know, as kids to, were taught to do. They're trying to create exciting plays by stripping the ball instead of taking the, the player down. I mean, that every coach I ever had is 
rolling in their grave because of that. <laughs> well, the sure. expression is, hey, when you run into that guy and your defender, wrap him up. Wrap him up. And yep. everybody says that. And that's, that's how you do it. You wrap him up and, yeah. and take him down. We were told, put your face mask in their chest and wrap him up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Anywhere. Exactly. But, you know, that's just the way things are anymore. And we're a bunch of old guys talking about <laughs> sports. That's the way that works around here. We'll be back and we'll uh, have our roundtable discussions coming up in just a second. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Congratulations going out to Colin Morikawa. He wins the Open. Going away. Jordan Spieth did not uh, come back. 15 strokes under. Jordan Spieth finishes 13 strokes under. So congratulations to him. 11 $0.5 million goes into his bank account. So congratulations. Also his second major. He's also yep. a former PGA champion, and he's 24 years old. Here's yeah. a guy who may be, and this is, he's a fine player, may be the next kind of uh, focus point or focal point of the PGA Tour now. Uh, the British Open is not a PGA event. It's a universal event that all the, all the top-level uh, pros play on this, but he completed. This is the end of the Grand Slam events now. There are no more after this after this year. But the fact is that Morikawa is a really, really fine player. He's mm-hmm. shown his skill every single tournament in which he plays. He's a deserving winner. This this ended. Louis Oosthuizen had the lead going into this one by one stroke over. I beg your pardon, two strokes. I think it was over uh, Morikawa. And it ended on about the fifth or sixth hole because uh, Ustazen bogeyed and this guy birdied. There's the two-stroke difference. Yep, yep. It made it made it up. And, uh, I mean, this guy holds his poise, 24 years old, and playing in one of the majors, a universal major, and uh, wins the event. He's fine player, okay. fine player. Let's start our roundtable discussion, and it is about basketball. We have uh, so far had a very good NBA Finals, three to two bucks. They took the uh, lead last night. Great game. And it looked like Phoenix was going to walk away with this one. And the Bucks said not too quickly. So we at least have a game six. That's pretty exciting. But on the other hand, let's talk about USA basketball because there appears to be trouble on both the men's and women's sides. The, and, and in both cases, it's because the teams have not played together. They're obviously great athletes, probably the best in the world. But they are not cohesive in either case. Yeah, the USA team, they had a great exhibition game. Their first one was against the WNBA All-Stars, the, which is mostly the Olympic team. But they're the Olympic team playing among themselves against the rest of the WNBA All-Stars, and the WNBA won it. The, the All-Stars won by, I think, six or eight points, somewhere around there. Then the Olympians come back, and they play Australia, and the Australians beat them. Oh, horrors. Well, our men's team loses to Nigeria, which is mostly NBA players, Mm -hmm. and then loses to Australia, which is a very fine basketball team. Older, but a fine team nonetheless. That's why I'm especially anxious to see the game that they play tonight against Spain, because the Spanish team is the reigning world champions. They won it two years ago, and these are all essentially the same players. They're all NBA guys. Ricky Rubio and... Uh, Paul Gasol and Mark Gasol and 
who are Spanish uh, citizens, and they're playing for the team along with uh, Hernan Gomez, who is Minnesota Timberwolves. I think Rubio is a Timberwolf, too. Anyway, they're mostly NBA players, but they have been together. They're playing as a unit. How can our team, which has some very fine players, uh, compensate for that? This is a big game coming up tonight. John, you're a resident basketball expert. Your thoughts? Uh, it's it's going to be interesting, and I do have that nervous feeling that this is going to be a huge letdown this year. Uh, Bradley Beal is officially out for the Olympic Games. That hurts this team, and I think Ned hit it on the head. You're seeing when we get to the off season in other countries, these guys stay in touch. They work out together. They understand each other. When you look in the NBA, you know it is the era of super teams whether you're talking about the Miami Heat with Bosh, Wade, and LeBron, whether you're talking about the Golden State Warriors with Curry, Thompson, Green, and Durant. And now you saw it this year with the Clippers, who made a great run. Those super teams, those signings are done long before the season starts. They have time to pick up on each other's strengths, weaknesses. They have time to gel. Waiting this long until after the NBA season is over, these guys do not have a chance to play as a team. It's not Greg Popovich's fault by any means. He is a superb coach. He is doing what he can, but right now you're seeing it live and in person. You have 15 individuals playing a game. This is not a team, and they're going to have to get it together very, very quickly, or we're going to see the U.S. bounce. And, John, us. I'm in complete agreement with you, and I'm not so sure that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have the better athletes, but they are not together. Case in point was their game against Australia, and in some respects, the Nigeria team. Nigeria outquicked them and played defense, in-your-face defense. Mm-hmm. The Australian team backpicked the USA oh. to death. They were players, I mean, uncontested layups because they were pick and rolled, backpicked, screened, and our guys are saying, you know, we should be doing that. <laughs> Come on, that's what well, it's about, hey, people. <laughs> let's, let's stop for a second here, and I'll bring Josh in on the conversation, too. I mean, these are professional athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They should be able to go into it and play. I, I, I feel like you know, it's it's almost this anointment for the USA team. There's no, fortunately, we're no longer caling them the dream team because at this point it'd be a nightmare. But yeah. you know, what you, what do you think, real. Josh? Well, here's my opinion on it. I I agree that the problem is the NBA and most of the American basketball players in the NBA are individuals. They they don't. There's less team basketball in the NBA than ever before. It's more an individual showcase of talent. One guy may score 41 game, another guy may score 35 the next game. But they really, they're, from what I see, there's very little team basketball the way that it needs to be for international play. Because of what Ned touched upon, these other countries, these guys play together constantly. If they're not in a tournament, they're practicing for the next tournament. And so what that's turned into as the talent level has risen in these other countries is they can beat us. We're not the best at basketball in the world anymore because we don't play basketball the way that the rest of the world does. The uh, the long-range shooting among the international teams is really superb. Mm-hmm. But over and above that, what, when you have a team that has been together, you learn how to help on defense. Yeah. You learn how to pick for somebody else. And it isn't a matter of these guys not being able to do it. They don't know which ones to do Correct. it. They don't know who to rely on help. Yep. 
You only gain that from having been together for time and time. And by time, I'm talking about several months of working out as a team. You see that in college basketball. That's why the really good college basketball teams rise to the top, because they are playing together as a team. Our bunch has not yet. The game against Argentina, they won 108-80. to And they did that because, number one, they were putting the ball in the basket. Now, I, I don't say that to be facetious, but there's so much emphasis put on defense. Hey, forget it. You know, you got to put the ball through the <laughs> cylinder, too. Defense is very important. It is. But the fact of the matter remains you've got to be able to score, and you score with set plays, with guys screening for you, and picking and getting layups at the basket. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think this spells trouble for USA basketball, though? You mean in the long term, yes. No, because I think somewhere along the line, our people who run the organization, Colangelo, although he's out, he after right. this year he is relinquishing the duties. And the, they know, they understand what is needed. It's a matter of changing the mindset and bringing these guys together while they have the opportunity. For instance, our team, our USA Olympic team, started training on July the 8th. <laughs> And where are we today? July the 18th. Mm-hmm. Ten days yeah. they've been together? Come on, you can't have a team doing that. I don't care how many times you drill or how many games you play. All right. Well, we, I don't think we've solved that problem, but we've got some <laughs> nice opinions on it. We'll come back in a minute and wrap up Ned Talk. Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. We're about a month away from the start of the NFL season, which means that we will be doing the pregame shows. And that will be on Sunday. The first few games are, of course, the preseason, and those will be on Saturday and Friday when we'll be doing those shows. So, there you know. There you have all the information you need, except for what we're going to watch on the television this <laughs> afternoon. Right now, we're watching the basketball tournament. We're trying to figure out what it is. John's our basketball expert, and even he's, he's stumped by this. He's like, what the, what the hell is this? Apparently, it's a winner-take-all million-dollar basketball tournament, and it's made up of former players from different colleges so uh kind of interesting it was between that and the cornhole tournament we decided on this so Ned, what are you going to go home and watch today nothing in the afternoon but i will watch because i'm mowing today a little bit of uh, the usa and spain tonight i want to see how that works out and whether or not the usa has achieved a level of of uh, unified play which they really do need of course the three of their top players on the usa team are not with them because of the Milwaukee-Phoenix series. So when they join the team, which hopefully will be when they take off for Japan, it might be a different story, but we'll have we'll just have to wait and see. What about you, John? What are you watching? I think I'm going to spend most of my afternoon trying to figure out what this tournament is. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough research on that particular event. So what do you think, uh, Josh, what's on your television screen this afternoon? Uh, this afternoon, probably nothing unless I watch some Penny Dreadful. But I think I'm going to tune into that basketball game tonight, too, just so I can see the train wreck of the USA basketball. Well, this will be a good test for them, too, Josh, because oh, yeah. they are playing Spain. Yeah, and Spain, Spain is, is good. world champions. Mm-hmm. It's an older team. But by the same token, though, they're still very skilled and they play together as a team. Starts at 6 o'clock, I think, tonight. Okay. I'm disappointed with all of you. 
Yankees and Sox. I mean, Ooh, that's that's the a rivalry, rivalry right there. The rival. Well, it, it it looks like it's turning into a rivalry again. The Yankees won their first game all season against the Red Sox. They're one in twelve now. Well, we'll have Monsignor. to watch it to see whether or not any fan throws the ball back yeah. on the field at a player. That'll yeah. be great. Yeah. Well, they, you, you, you <laughs> know, the classy old, Yankees. The fans. old days of baseball <laughs> were kind of like that. Well, it'll be interesting yeah. to see the retribution when when. Uh, when we head to Fenway Park, because uh, you know Red Sox fans and Yankee fans are about equally classy. Oh yeah, you're right. Well, no, I would say that Yankee fans are a little classier, honestly. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've, I've, been to, I've been to Fenway that, Park, and I'm not a fan of the Red Sox. All right. Well, there you have it. That's what we're watching. We'll be back in one week with another edition of Ned Talk right here on 104.7 The Cave. Thanks to Corbin Campbell, Scott Meyer, and Mike the Intern. Listen to us as a podcast. We'll see ya.